It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Welcome to 2021. Unfortunately, that New Year feeling won't really begin to settle in until the afternoon of January 20th, we hope. Senate runoff elections in Georgia take place Tuesday. And on Wednesday, a joint session of Congress will tally the Electoral College results from the presidential election. The first event will determine control of the U.S. Senate. If Democrats Ossoff and Warnock both win those seats in Georgia, the Senate would be split 50-50, with Vice President-elect Kamala Harris becoming Senate President, giving Democrats effective control. If Republicans eke out even one win, Mitch McConnell retains his dictatorial role as Senate Majority Leader, refusing to bring any Democratic-led legislation even up for a vote on the Senate floor. Wednesday is January 6th, when the usually ceremonial tallying of the Electoral College vote is scheduled. But this year, egged on by Trump himself, as many as 140 House Republicans and a dozen in the Senate have announced they will object to the final counts. To recap the events of the past few days, let's begin with Sunday afternoon, when the Washington Post released an excerpt of an hour-long phone call held the day before. It was Donald Trump, still technically president, his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, Georgia's secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, his general counsel, Ryan Germany, and a few others. It was a barrage of Trump's lies, threats, and desperation. He repeatedly claimed that he won Georgia and pressed Raffensperger to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the state. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. A few Republicans are finally speaking out against this coup attempt. Mitt Romney, we know Ben Sass issued a statement over the weekend. House of Representatives Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney sent a 21-page memo to her colleagues, warning that such a plan would set a dangerous precedent, enabling Congress rather than the states to choose the president. Former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan even came out of hiding to condemn the plan. And then Tom Cotton stepped up. He's been a staunch supporter of Trump's and is also widely considered to be a 2024 presidential contender. Even Fox and Fiends called him out on Monday morning. I just worry about this. You have that along with the protests the president's going for on Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, this is the type of anarchy that doesn't work for anybody, Republicans or Democrats, in the, in the big picture. But so far, there's just no proof of it. And just because you voted for the president doesn't mean that there, this actual evidence exists. On Sunday, there was an interesting split screen. As the news was breaking about this phone call, the newly elected 117th Congress was being sworn in, and the House re-elected Nancy Pelosi to a fourth term as Speaker. With Democrats holding only 222 of the House's 435 seats, Pelosi can't afford to lose more than a few Democrats on any House votes. But things were tense even before Sunday. On Friday, the Senate voted 81 to 13 to override Trump's veto of the $740 billion National Defense Authorization Act. This was the first time this Congress overrode a Trump veto. Earlier in the week, the House voted to back the NDAA. Trump said he vetoed the measure because he didn't like how it restricts the president's ability to draw down troop levels, as well as the fact that it directs the Pentagon to strip the names of Confederate figures from U.S. military installations. Trump also wanted the legislation to include a repeal of liability protections for tech companies. 
a completely unrelated issue. Also on the table this weekend was the legislation passed quickly by the House at the behest of the president, who delayed signing the COVID relief legislation combined with the must-pass omnibus spending bill because he said the amount given to citizens in direct payments should be $2,000 rather than the $600 the bill called for. Democrats jumped on the idea, and Bernie Sanders ran with it, threatening to filibuster the vote on overriding Trump's NDAA veto. Despite early grunts of support for the measure from even Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and others, when it came time to put up, only five other senators stood with Bernie. Ed Markey of Massachusetts, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Ron Wyden of Oregon, and surprisingly, Chris Van Hollen of Maryland. But good for them. Forty Democratic senators sided with Mitch McConnell. In COVID news, on Friday, the United States topped 20 million recorded COVID-19 cases. There's also a record number of people hospitalized. On Thursday, there were more than 125,370 hospitalized coronavirus patients in the U.S. The U.S. has now passed the grim tally of 350,000 COVID-19 deaths. Stay home. Stay safe. Stay masked. This thing is going to get worse before it gets better. We still have a long road ahead of us. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports, I invite you to check out the Nicole Sandler Show. It's heard weekdays at 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific on the Progressive Voices Network and available as a podcast anytime at NicoleSandler.com. My show is not behind a paywall, so it's open and free to anybody who wants to listen. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll consider a contribution. Just go to NicoleSandler.com and please click on that donate button. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. If you... uh, uh, my company, Bannon Communications Research, polls uh, for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to know more about me or my political polling firm, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. There's a lot going on in politics this week, and we've got great guests to help us uh, discuss uh, the big events. Uh, The Georgia Senate runoffs uh, occur tomorrow, uh, so we'll uh, know then, hopefully after soon, uh, whether or not Democrats or Republicans control the Senate. Then, of course, tomorrow, 
uh, Congress votes to certify Joe Biden's electoral vote victory. Uh, to help us uh, guide us through the events of the week, uh, our guests today are in the first half hour, Sean Zella, the editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine. Uh, in the second half hour, as usual, we have our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, today on the panel, we have Nick Guthman, uh, who is the co-founder of Our Blue Future, and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. But first, in the uh, first half hour, our guest is Sean Zella, who is the editor uh, of Congressional Qu Quarterly Magazine. Uh, I think I... Um, Sean was the first guest we had back on Deadline DC a couple of months ago. Uh, he's been on several times and uh, apparently is a glutton for punishment because has agreed to come back today. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sean. Hey, it's good to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, let's start. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Congress is going to meet to uh, decide whether to certify uh, Joe Biden's electoral vote victory. Uh, now, in most times, that's a foregone conclusion, uh, but there are several Republican members of Congress uh, who are going to vote against certification. I believe the last time I checked, there are 12 Republican members of the United States Senate uh, who plan to vote to block certification and more than 100 GOP uh, House members. Uh, so can you take our audience through what's uh, likely to happen, uh, what will happen tomorrow, and uh, how this thing's going to play out? Well, it is still a foregone conclusion that Joe Biden will be certified as the next president of the United States. That's going to happen. What's interesting about tomorrow's event is that it will demonstrate the magnitude of the split within the Republican Party. You mentioned the numbers that are expected to oppose the certification, try to reverse the election. We'll see if that sticks or if there are more who join that group. But some are forecasting that this forebodes a lot of trouble for Republicans going forward as the party struggles to determine how loyal to remain to President Trump going forward, how big a player President Trump remains in the party after he leaves office and whether it has an effect on uh, Republicans' electoral prospects two years from now. Okay. Well, yeah, it does. And, you know, that brings up a uh, related matter. Uh, yesterday, uh, Americans got to hear a phone conversation between the president and the uh, Georgia Secretary of State, where uh, many people feel uh, that uh, the president... Uh, asked the Secretary of State, who's a Republican, by the way, uh, to find, uh, to find, quote, unquote, uh, more votes so he could surpass Joe Biden's uh, uh, margin of victory in the Peachtree State. Uh, how are Republicans in Washington uh, re uh, reacting to the president's phone call? Well, I think it's another example of the divide within the party. You have some who are very much upset about it, don't like it, doesn't look favorably on the party, um, makes them look like sore losers, makes President Trump look like someone who is threatening the very underpinnings of democracy. And a number of high-profile Republicans, from 
former Speaker Paul Ryan, uh, Senator Mitt Romney, the party's uh, presidential nominee in 2012, have spoken out against it. Liz Cheney, one of the high-ranking officials in the House uh, GOP leadership. But, you know, there has been a lot of silence from other Republicans. And again, it underscores that there is a divide right now in the GOP. And whether it proves very serious or whether it goes away, once Republicans have someone to rally against, Joe Biden, remains to be seen. We'll start seeing it, you know, later this month and through this year. Well, you said that uh, the uh, divisions among Republicans over certification and the reaction to the Trump phone call uh, represent uh, a divide within the Republican Party. Doesn't it also uh, suggest that Joe Biden is going to have a real big problem uh, with Republicans? I mean, it seems to me you have all these uh, Republican senators and House members who are basically die, you know, do or die Trump people, uh, refuse to admit he lost. Uh, what does this suggest uh, about the amount of success uh, Joe Biden? You know, it seems to me Joe Biden has staked his presidency on being able to work with Republicans. Uh, he may or may not have a Democratic majority in the Senate, depending upon what happens in Georgia tomorrow. Uh, even if he does have a uh, majority, it's going to be a nominal majority, uh, you know, with 50 votes plus the vice president's vote to break ties in uh, Joe Biden's favor. Uh, but then he has to deal with Joe Manchin, a fairly conservative uh, West Virginia Democrat, uh, who's not likely to be pleased uh, by uh, some of the possible Biden initiatives. Uh, so, uh, you know, what does this pretend, uh, suggest about, uh, Joe Biden's prospects in working with Republicans, especially in the Senate? Well, for the last decade, maybe the last two decades, we've been in a situation in Washington where there has been little bipartisan compromise, at least on the really significant controversial issues where, huge compromises necessary for legislation to pass. And that is likely to continue. Um, we are not likely to receive a return to days of a more conciliatory politics where people reached across the aisle and solved big problems in Congress. So the most likely scenario is that the Biden presidency will look a lot like the Trump presidency and the Obama presidency before that in terms of how President Joe Biden will seek to get things done, which is he will use his executive power to do it. He will use his regulatory agencies to do it. And where there are deals with Congress, they will there will probably be deals with Congress, but they won't be on the big controversial issues. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, you know, I think, you know, we're in a fairly tough situation where there are all sorts of these overwhelming problems, uh, the pandemic being the most notable. Uh, you also have real problems with health care, uh, with climate change, uh, and uh, it's going to be very difficult for Joe Biden uh, to move any legislation uh, through Congress or even the House. Democrats have a very slim majority, uh, so the new president has his uh, work cut out for himself. 
Uh, we're going to go to break now. Uh, for those of you who watch us on uh, Periscope TV, uh, you can continue watching us. Uh, if you're listening to us, uh, you can watch us now uh, um, on uh, Periscope uh, at uh, periscope.tv uh, front slash Brad Bannon. Uh, you can also watch the show on uh, YouTube uh, and uh, Facebook Live. So if you want to watch as well as listen, uh, you have all sorts of opportunities to do it. Uh, when we get back uh, from break, uh, we're going to, uh, for our radio audio listeners, uh, we're going to uh, discuss uh, prospects for Joe Biden's presidency, um, which is not going to be a laugh riot form. Anyway, we'll be back with more of Sean Zella, editor of CQ Magazine, when we get back from these messages. If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember... You don't have to be there to be there. You could say how are you will get a fake tattoo. You can ask with an app if it works for you. You could write him a text or knit him a sweater. If you can't be together, you could write him a letter. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever, Chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. However, you do it, you gotta ask a friend. And if they don't share, you can ask again. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheOpera.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt, and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council.
Welcome back to our radio listeners. Our guest in this half hour is Sean Zella, who is the editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine. Uh, let me uh, turn to another subject, uh, Sean. Uh, what do you think the political climate is going to be like in Washington and in Congress uh, without uh, Donald Trump around? Uh, you know, Joe Biden has uh, said that he's going to be trying is going to be a uh, unifying figure. Uh, do you think Trump's absence will lower the temperature and the volatility in Congress uh, and in Washington generally? Well, I think Trump certainly was a uniquely divisive figure in American politics. And the question is, you know, how much of a figure does he remain in American politics? Does he continue to try to play a role? Is he going to uh, gin up a run for the presidency in 2024 and be commenting on every little thing going on in Washington? Well, that will certainly have an impact. Um, without, if he steps back from politics, you know, I think it has to lower the temperature. But on the other hand, you know, it was no picnic here before Trump's arrival. The Obama years were very partisan, the Bush years before that. And a return to that is, you know, maybe getting off the boiling point, but it's the water is still pretty hot. Okay. Okay. Uh, tomorrow, of course, uh, big event. We have the two Senate runoff races in Georgia. Uh, now, I like to think that I follow these things pretty closely, but I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in Georgia uh, tomorrow. Uh, if the Democrats win both seats, uh, they will have a 50-50 split in the Senate. Uh, with the vice president, uh, Vice President Harris, uh, being around to break ties in Joe Biden's favor, uh, the Democrats, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, presumably will become majority leader uh, and have a chance to uh, organize the Senate. Uh, if the Republicans win one or both of the Georgia Senate races tomorrow, uh, they will have a, a majority in the Senate, and Mitch McConnell. Uh, would uh, become majority leader. You know, I had a discussion with someone, you know, talking about, well, it really makes a big difference uh, what happens in Georgia tomorrow. Uh, but my friend reminded me that uh, even though uh, the Democrats may have a nominal control of the Senate, uh, that's still going to be make it very rough sledding uh, for Joe Biden when he deals with the Senate. Uh, what let's say let's say this Democrats do win both races in Georgia. Uh, what does that mean for Chuck Schumer? First, one thing I think it probably means uh, that Biden uh, will have Democratic uh, committee chairs, which I think is a big deal because they have uh, power to decide where to call hearings and who to investigate and who to talk to in hearings. Uh, I would think it would make it easier for Biden to get his uh cabinet ratified, uh, what advantages would it be for the Democrats if they do win Georgia tomorrow? Well, in addition to those two that you mentioned, which are big, the other one is it would allow Democrats to pursue a, a budget reconciliation. 
And this is the special legislative process that's allowed under the congressional rules that permits Congress to pass a bill of uh, budgetary significance, a fiscal policy bill, with only a majority of the House and Senate. And it takes off the table the Senate filibuster, which stops so much legislation. And so with, there are parameters for this sort of bill. It has to be fiscal policy related. But it would allow Democrats to do a lot. This is the same process that Republicans used to pass their tax bill in 2017. Democrats used it in 2010 to pass Obamacare. So it's been used on huge legislation in the past, and Democrats would have that opportunity again. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what's going to happen in Georgia tomorrow? Um, I Like you, I, I really don't know. I, I thought initially that Republicans seemed to have an advantage just because uh, Purdue, the senators Purdue and Loeffler, the Republican incumbents, um, had gotten more votes than their opponents, or at least Loeffler combined with Doug Collins. There were two Republicans in that race had gotten more votes than the Democratic opponents in the on election day, and that at a time when Trump had lost Georgia. So I thought, and just Georgia's history indicates Republicans have, a, have an edge there. But since that time, President Trump has made it, just made it very difficult for those, his Republican incumbents there with his proposals to raise the amount of the stimulus checks to $2,000. He really put Loeffler and Purdue on the hot seat. And he, he's done them no favors. And the latest polling, you know, with a big grain of salt, knowing that the polling was off um, yep. this year, seems to indicate the Democrats are ahead. So I think, you know, I got to concur with the, um, you know, the experts. This is a toss up. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, if the Democrats uh, do win both races in Georgia, it seems to me the uh, key man in the Senate uh, might be Democratic Senator uh, from West Virginia, uh, Joe Manchin, who is uh, probably the most conservative member of the Democratic caucus. Uh, how friendly will he be to Joe Biden if the Democrats have a nominal majority in the Senate? Yeah, that's where that budget reconciliation comes in, because his vote would be the deciding vote, presuming every Republican opposed the bill, which is not a guarantee. You might peel off a Susan Collins um, to get a budget reconciliation bill through. But if Joe Manchin's vote is, uh, is crucial, which it figures to be in that situation, you think he is not going to go for any provisions that um, deal with controversial social policy like abortion. He is to the right of his party on abortion policy and on climate change. Being from West Virginia, a coal producing state, he is far to the right of his party on the climate issue and what's needed to combat it. So there would be no, um, it would be unlikely that the Democrats could put, for, for example, a, a carbon tax into that uh, legislation with Joe Manchin and deciding vote. Now, if the uh, Democrats don't win both races in Georgia, uh, it seems to me that uh, the new president is probably going to have uh, Susan Collins of Maine and maybe Lisa Murkowski of Alaska on speed dial. Uh, what are the prospects uh, for them supporting some Biden initiatives? 
It's good. I, I think, you know, if, if the bill is formulated in the right way, you can win a Susan Collins, as Barack Obama won Susan Collins' vote in the crucial votes in 2009 to pass the Obama stimulus bill. Her vote was critical, and I think it could be again. Okay. Uh, Sean, uh, thanks very much for joining us today on Deadline uh, DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, you the first guest I ever had on the show, and hopefully you won't be the last because we plan on being there. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, but anyway, thank you. Uh, that was Sean Zella, editor of Congressional Quarterly Magazine, and we'll be back after this break uh, for, with the provocative progressive political panel. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Thank you, Sean. Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. How are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Angus? Not Angus, the breed of cattle, but Angus, the thousand-pound, quote, farmer of the future. He is not actually a he, but an it, a robot, toiling away on an indoor hydroponic farm that is soilless and, yes, soulless. Programmed by a multimillion-dollar Silicon Valley startup named Iron Ox, Angus's homestead is an 8,000-square-foot concrete warehouse in a San Francisco suburb. The farm bot is more of a heavy lifter than a heavy thinker, wheeling around the warehouse to lift, move, and hand off large pallets of produce to another robot that, so far, hasn't earned a name. The human overseers of this robotic animal farm don't wear John Deere gimme caps, but clean room hairnets, apparently to prevent anything organic from contaminating the edibles or the bots. Started by a Google engineer, Iron Ox hopes to install duplicates of its faux farm in metro areas across the country. 
quote, if we can feed people using robots, he says, what would be more impactful than that? How about this? Reconnecting our food system to nature, a democratic economy, and humans. The roboticists brag that local warehouses can provide fresher lettuce than the mega farms shipped from thousands of miles away. But wait, local farmers markets do that, and the consumer dollars stay in the community, rather than being siphoned off to iron ox and Wall Street financiers of Angus robots. The robotic indoor farm hucksters quietly concede that their real business plan depends on, quote, sidestepping the cost of human labor and local farm owners. Instead of democratizing our food economy, their scheme concentrates food profits in a handful of absentee syndicators. This is Jim Hightower saying, even Angus must know that this is stupid. We have won this election in Georgia, and there's nothing wrong with saying that that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. Uh, that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? No, Ryan, join the name. No, Dominion has not um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County. We're having. Well, but, no, but, but have they moved? Have they have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. Are you sure, Ryan? I'm sure. You should want to have an accurate election, and you're a Republican. We believe that we do have an accurate election. No, I no, you don't. No, no, you don't. You don't have. You don't have. Not even close. You got. You're off by hundreds of thousands of votes. You know what they did, and you're not reporting it. That's a. You know, that's a criminal. That's a criminal offense. And and you know you can't let that happen. That's that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion based on what I've heard, and they are removing machinery, uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, Welcome back to Deadline DC with Mer- uh, with Brad Bannon. Uh, you just heard audio of a rather desperate uh, president uh, fighting, doing everything he can without any evidence uh, to invalidate the votes of the 81 million Americans uh, who voted for Joe Biden uh, back in November. God, I hate them even listening to the man's voice. I'm not sure it was a good idea to subject the audience to it because I really can't stand it. Okay, but uh, it is time for our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, Joining us on the panel today is Nick Guthman, 
who is the co-founder of Our Blue Future, uh, which uh, works with uh, Democrats uh, and young people to get them active in the political process, which uh, apparently he did a good job of uh, back in November and hopefully is going to work again in Georgia tomorrow. Um, also on the panel is uh, Mark Bermaldi, a progressive political activist uh, who has worked on several Democratic presidential campaigns and is also involved uh, in the fight for campaign finance reform and also working on behalf of uh, cancer research. Welcome, panel. Uh, let's start with uh your reaction to the uh, tape we just played of the president's uh, conversation with the Georgia Secretary of State. Uh, the president uh, told the Secretary of State uh, that uh, his election was invalid. Of course, he had no evidence to back it up. I think the key phrase in that was, I've talked to people who said the election was uh, invalid, which is not admissible in court, by the way. I think that's what they call hearsay evidence. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't stop. Boy, he's desperate. I mean, you know, he's desperate and whiny. Uh, seems to me that's not the, you know, that's not the face you will want to present to the public uh, in the last tragic days of your presidency. But um, anyway, uh, Nick, why don't you start? What do you think about that? call. Thank you, Brad, uh, as always, for having me and good to be with you, Mark. Uh, yeah, it's, as you said, a very desperate attempt in these final days of his presidency. And, uh, you know, I think the American people see right through it, see, see it is, you know, see what it is uh, for what it is. And uh, I, I saw a meme, uh, you know, that's kind of how my generation uh, understands what's going on in the world that was like this. This in comparison to the Nixon tapes is like Trump said, hey, bro, hold my beer. I'm going to have an even worse, more incriminating tape recording than you could have. And of course, that changed American politics for a long time and still does. But I think, you know, what, what's important here is that this is just another attempt, countless attempts, 60 plus lawsuits that failed in the courts, but another attempt by the Republicans and Donald Trump to divide us to sow chaos and fear and mistrust in the government and the electoral process and in our fundamental democracy. And they're doing that only so that they can rig the economy, rig the government in their favor for their wealthy few donors. But we are smarter than this. Young people are smarter than this. And we've come together already to say we've had enough. It's time for change. It's time for new leadership. And we're going to do the same thing tomorrow in Georgia uh, as we elect hopefully two new senators and an important statewide election with Daniel Blackman running for public service commissioner. But the, the young people are coming together. Black voters are coming together. Muslim, Asian American, Latin, Latinx voters are coming together to build a coalition of people to say enough is enough. In America, democracy means something. And, uh, and that's what we're going to be voting for tomorrow uh, in the state of Georgia. And then with, a new, with new leadership in Congress, with new leadership in the White House, we can start to really help working people in this country and build an economy that works for everyone, not just those at the top. Uh, Mark, uh, I've mentioned uh, several times in the last few weeks that uh, during most of the Trump administration, I've had a running uh, internal battle 
about uh, whether Donald Trump has supplanted Richard Nixon as the worst president in the history of the United States. Uh, I'm older than the two of you, so I, I you know, uh, Nixon has always been my sentiment, sentimental favorite for being the worst president. But um, every time I do the show and we talk about Trump, I think, well, you know, I think uh, finally after four years, he's uh, lapped Richard Nixon. Uh, I was watching uh, one of those talk shows on television yesterday, and Carl Bernstein, who is one of the uh, Watergate reporters, uh, said that the president's phone call to the Georgia Secretary of State uh, was worse than he ever uh, heard from Nixon during Watergate, and I guess that capped it for me. Donald Trump is now the reigning champion of ineptitude ineptitude of presidents in my book. Uh, I should send out a press release <laughs> you say that. Uh, but what do you what's your reaction to the call, Mark? Yeah, I mean, probably it's funny because I think Nick, you know, summed it up well for our generation. A lot of the time, it, you know, it's memes or, or tweets, you know, sometimes it helps you put it into context almost, you know, it's some of them, you know, are almost a form of artwork, I would say. Um, but of all the ones that I had heard, um, Mark Hamill uh, of Star Wars fame summed it up best when he said it was like finding a lost episode of The Sopranos, you know, <laughs> and that was aired because it really sounded like that. I mean, you you can't believe that any public official would be, you know, stupid enough to just so blatantly you know, try to blackmail someone and threaten criminal action, uh, you know, unless you break the law. Yet it's the president of the United States, the sitting president of the United States, you know, just coming out and saying, I need you to find this many ballots and giving an exact specific number. So, you know, this is interesting. We'll see what happens. Again, we've talked about once Trump is no longer president and doesn't have the legal shielding of that office, you know, he is potentially faced with crimes that he cannot be pardoned from state crimes and the Fulton County DA in Georgia uh, came out with a quote within the last hour saying anyone who commits a felony violation of Georgia law in my jurisdiction will be held accountable. Once the investigation from the election divisions is complete, this matter, like all matters will be handled by our office based on the facts and the law. So we'll see if anything comes of it, but um you know, it's it's what is it? Sixteen days, uh, sixteen yep, days. Sixteen days. So it, it, well, it's good to know that the facts of the law still apply somewhere, somewhere right? Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I guess uh, we could take a mild, you know a little comfort in that. Um, I think, if I, Brad, if I can just say one thing, I think it is important that there is some level of accountability. Yes. Though, for this is a crime, right? This this could be a crime, and it should be, yeah, it should be sure investigated exactly as, as such. And, and if there isn't accountability, whether it's through Congress, whether it's through the DA, whether it's through the secretary, wherever it is, if there's not a consequence or at least some form of investigation, the Republicans will continue to try to do this to our democracy, try to destroy our democracy. We can't let that happen. We must stand up. We must, must demand accountability and consequences Amen. for this kind of leadership. This is unacceptable in the United States of America and around the world. Okay, we're going to take a break now. Uh, We're talking to our provocative progressive political panel. 
Today, uh, Nick Guffman from Our Blue Future uh, joins us, and uh, also joining us today is Mark Grimaldi, a progressive political activist. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC after this message, and if you're a Periscope TV viewer, hang on, we're not going anywhere. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having play dates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers hey, with Brad, virtual playdates and video stream, chats, bud. they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. He was the heart of your family, and he taught you our history. He helped you fix your first flat. He was the best backyard DJ around, and every time he'd tell a story, he'd own the room. But now more than ever, he may feel alone. Today, older adults and their loved ones are struggling to connect in a time when connection has never been more important. But there is something we can do. Embrace our older loved ones through StoryCorps Connect. With StoryCorps Connect, you can honor seniors remotely with an interview about their life. Every interview will be archived at the Library of Congress, becoming part of American history, so that years from now, future generations can listen in. All right, Grandpa, what's one piece of advice you have for me? Just three words, sweetheart. Live with courage. The man that had the best stories still has plenty of stories to tell. So connect virtually and share the conversation of a lifetime at storycorpconnect.org slash AARP. Connect, honor, share. StoryCorps Connect. A message from AARP, StoryCorps, and the Ad Council. Welcome to Code WAC, your podcast on America's broken healthcare system and how Medicare for All could help. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. After nearly a year of living in the coronavirus pandemic, the COVID vaccines are finally here. What do we know about them and their safety? I spoke with Dr. Rob Davidson, an ER physician and head of the Committee to Protect Medicare. To me, the only issue is, did this come to market faster than any other vaccine ever? Yes, that is absolutely true. It's also the only vaccine developed in the midst of a pandemic that has been killing this unprecedented numbers of people and killed our economy and, you know, sickening so many people. So the need was there for this rapid development. The technology has been there since 2011, where they've been working on antibodies against uh, certain types of cancer. So that technology has been there. Uh, I trust the technology. I appreciate the mRNA technology. If they take a bit of genetic code from the virus called RNA, and they put it in a little carrier, they inject it, it gets into your muscle cells. And then that RNA, that bit of genetic code is taken up by your own body system and, and your body makes this protein that looks like viral protein. There is no actual part of the virus. This has all been manufactured in the lab, this genetic code. And then as soon as that protein is made, the RNA goes away, it's dissolved. And the only thing left is your own body's protein that looks like virus. So your body says, this doesn't look like self. 
and makes antibodies, and that's how you develop an immune response. Relative to any other vaccine technology out there, to me, this appears to be the, the most straightforward, safest way one could get vaccinated. The full Code Wax story on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. Catch all our episodes by subscribing to Code Wack wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, a nonprofit that uplifts the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. Until next time, stay healthy. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, we are in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel. Our guests today are Nick Guffman, who is the uh, co-founder of uh, Deadline of, of uh, Our Blue Future. Now Mark and I founded De uh, Deadline DC. Um, and uh, Mark Romaldi, progressive political activist. Uh, Nick, let me ask you this question. Uh, what do young voters expect of Joe Biden? Now, he may be in a position where he can't do very much uh, legislatively because of the close balance uh, in the uh, uh, in the Senate and not so big a margin in the House either anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, I assume that shortly after he's inaugurated on January 20th uh, at noon, and I can't, that date, an hour can't come soon enough for me, uh, 16 days, I guess. Uh, what, uh, what do uh, young voters uh, expect uh, Joe Biden to do very quickly or hope he'll do very quickly uh, via executive order? So directly to that question, Joe Biden can cancel student debt immediately. There's proven pathway to do it via executive order. And that would be such a one, such an equitable thing to do as student debt, uh, you know, burdens uh, low income people, people of color more than it does uh, wealthier, privileged and white people. And so for on the one hand, it would help to close the racial wealth gap. On the other hand, it would be such a boost to the economy. Yes. And I can speak from experience in terms of, you know, uh, so many of my friends have such debt that they can't save for their retirement. They can't be uh, spending money uh, at local, you know, restaurants, bars, and, uh, and, and, you know, contributing to the economy that way. They're just getting by, especially if they're working in the progressive movement where, or nonprofit movement trying to make the world a better place. And we don't have the most lucrative salaries in the world. So by canceling student debt, you start, you jumpstart the economy, you help close the racial wealth gap, uh, and overall, it's the right thing to do because in America, we should be able to get educated, to contribute to society, to make a difference in our communities. We shouldn't be stuck in debt for the rest of our lives or have to go down some corporate route just to pay back all that debt, uh, and that's really a, a big problem in our economy. So that's one thing, but more broadly speaking, again, young people were driven to the polls for several reasons. I think at the top of the list is racial justice. At the top of the list is addressing the climate crisis in a meaningful way and doing a just transition to uh, away from fossil fuels. Um, at top of, the, top of that list is gun violence prevention um, and amongst so many other things. And certainly before we can make any progress on those things, we need to get this COVID pandemic in control and uh, we're very hopeful that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, hopefully with a Democratic Congress, will be able to do that in a way that 
uh, we haven't seen in this country because of the failed leadership of Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, and all the other Republicans who've been holding back such progress. You know, one thing I'm fairly optimistic about is that I think Joe Biden's presidential administration will be at the very least efficient. Uh, you know, and, you know, I mean, doesn't seem like a lot, but after four years of Trump, uh, you know, it's a pretty big leap from what we expect for Trump. I mean, they're having difficulty now. They're way behind in distributing the vaccine uh, against the COVID. And, you know, that's one thing I think the Biden administration is uh, going to do a good job at because he has competent, he's competent and he has competent people are working for him, which is definitely not the case in the president administration. Uh, but what, you know, I, I, I hear what you say about what young people want. Uh, let's take student loans as an example. Um, how much, what do you think Joe Biden will do on student loans? Uh, I've heard different things. Uh, maybe he'll forgive $50,000 worth of student loans. Uh, he's talked about ending uh, tuition um, at community colleges. Uh, what, do, what do you think Joe Biden will actually do? Well, it's hard to say, but what I what I do know is that his team has been very efficient, as you said, listening to the constituency groups that helped get him elected and pulling people in. He's been having his team has been having listening sessions with people directly impacted by not just the student debt issue, but by, you know, again, climate change, by mental health, by uh, our overall health care system. And so they're listening and they're taking in all the facts and all the perspectives on figuring out how they can make the best solution for the most people. Um, and I think ultimately that that's what they will do. Uh, our hope is that he cancels all student debt. If you're canceling 50,000, go ahead and cancel all of it. Again, turbocharge the economy, close the ra racial wealth gap, uh, and and uh, and again make education and make people's job prospects uh, uh, lean more towards public service, lean more towards doing good in our communities instead of going down a separate route. Um, and so it's hard to say what he will do. It's part of me. It's hard to imagine he would take such a bold uh, step in his first few days. But I think the people are pushing for it. Young people are pushing for it. And it's not just a young issue. People go die with student debt. It's one of the only yeah. forms of debt that outlives your life. If you die, that debt gets passed on. What kind of system is that? So, uh, again, we're hopeful that he'll cancel all of it. It seems like the right thing to do with this, uh, with the way that the economy is right now. So. Uh, we'll see, but I, I give lots of credit to him and his team and to his youth advisory team, especially for uh, listening, listening at this critical stage to figure out, well, what do people want? How can we do this in a way that provides the most help to the most people in the most efficient way? Okay, Mark, let me ask you this question. Uh, my reading uh, of... Uh, the post I see on Facebook and Twitter uh, suggests to me that progressives are already very impatient uh, with Joe Biden. Uh, and my concern is that it seems to me that other than executive orders, and even with executive orders, Joe Biden is going to have the Trump Supreme Court looking over his shoulder uh, that will pounce on him uh, if he issues an executive order uh, that 
the Supreme Court feels is uh, beyond is, you know, legislation instead of legislative uh, moves instead of an executive move. Uh, he's also going to have, a t- you know, regardless of what happens in Georgia tomorrow, he's going to have a difficult time getting any legislation passed. Uh, even if we win in Georgia, both races tomorrow, we still have to, you know, worry uh, at a moment's notice that Joe Manchin of West Virginia uh, will oppose anything he does, which, you know, basically uh, eliminates the Democratic advantage. It's so close. Uh and if Republicans win one uh, or both of the seats in Georgia tomorrow, then he has to rely on the not-so-tender mercies of uh, moderately conservative Republican senators who there aren't a lot of anymore. So my question is, um, how patient do you think progressives will be, Joe Biden? Uh, because other than executive orders, I think it's going to be pretty slow going. I share your concern, Brad. I will say that I think that it's also going to be up to President-elect Biden and his administration and also progressive leaders like Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders and Representative AOC and the squad to explain the situation, you know, as it goes forward. And if they see he's making good faith efforts, which I think he will to do things like cancel student debt and to do whatever climate action, action for gun uh, safety that he can do through executive action. If if the reason that those things stop are because of uh, Mitch McConnell or because of obstruction from Republicans, then I think it's going to be their job to show and to say, leading into the midterm elections, if you want this to not happen, then you need to give us more seats. You need to help us win more seats in this election. So you get done what you can with the votes that you have. And just like President Obama, I think, had to deal with in reverse, maybe instead of losing the majority, you have a favorable map come up where you can expand your majority by showing that that is what is stopping progress. Also, I will say I don't think we can underestimate the uh, change that it's going to be from having a problem solver in the White House uh, to what he will have left behind, which is just the scorched earth uh, that Donald Trump is leaving in his wake. I think it's going to be a, a quite refreshing for Americans to be able to go to bed at night and not have to wake up to, you know, 20 breaking news headlines about the nation being torn to shreds. Um, and progressives, I think, will appreciate that as well. Now, do I think they're all going to be, you know, in line? I, I'm a progressive myself with everything that he doesn't know. But I think that there's some realism in there as well, based on, you know, how close the margins are going to be in the House and the Senate. Yep. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, That finishes Deadline DC uh, today. Uh, We'll be back next week, uh, unless, of course, the president declares martial law um, or some other Republican disaster occurs. Uh, I want to thank today's guest uh, on the panel, Nick Duckman, co-founder of Our Blue Future, and our own Mark Grimaldi. As a professional painter, you know your customers want a flat finish, but don't want to pay the price of fighting dirt, grime, and scuffs. Use new Bear Ultra Scuff Defense from The Home Depot for a beautiful flat finish plus stain and scuff defense. And that price starts at just $29.60 a gallon, and that's before the Pro Extra discount. A flat paint that's too tough to scuff. Bear Ultra Scuff Defense, only at The Home Depot. 
how doers get more done. Available online and in select stores.